Hello, RP people, and welcome back to another episode of Role Playing a Smart People, the podcast where we pretend to know what we're talking about when it comes to all things tabletop. My name is Anna, and joining me today is Finer. Hey, what's the time? Yeah, you, you didn't get much. You didn't get as much out as you thought you did. I stopped it at one and a half seconds. And... What what point was I at at one and a half seconds? I, I don't know. I wasn't paying close enough attention, but it wasn't RP people. Ah, uh, and you know what? I for, also forgot to do hit start recording for OBS. <laughs> all right let's try that again let's try that again okay do you want me to say stop when we hit the second mark uh no just do do it until i'm done i'm finished the intro and then tell me the okay. time okay hello rp people and welcome back to another episode of role playing as smart people the podcast where we pretend i know what we talk about when it comes to all things tabletop my name is santa and thanks for tuning in again joining me as always we got finder hey and that was almost eight seconds seven seconds and 55 like 7.55 seconds you gotta admit that's still pretty impressive. That's that's yeah, you're not micro machine fast. <laughs> All right, <laughs> folks. Uh, as you can tell, uh, f- we do not have Scott here today, uh, so we invited he, Craig instead. Yeah, so we invited Craig. We're trying our new audio system and also <laughs> new video editing, which hopefully, due to my short time, I'll be able to actually punch these out a lot quicker. So hopefully that works. Um, but anyways, on today's episode, we are going to be doing something a tiny bit different than what we usually do. We are, we've gotten a few questions from Discord, which we are going to answer. Uh, yeah, so this is a whole different kind of... We've, we've never had to do this before, have we? No, no. although the, the different part on this is we might actually end up staying on topic because we just have questions we'll be answering. <laughs> well, uh, that's debatable. That is <laughs> debatable. Um, well, unless we start talking about like ordering pizza. <laughs> that has nothing to do with the question. <laughs> that is. I can go for pizza. Anyways. Um, <laughs> so the first question that we had uh, was from Masked. And he was asking, what feeling or flavor did you want players to experience in their decision-making, e.g. mechanics or character building, role-playing, narrative, or events? And that was when we were talking about how our own GM styles. I don't know if you remember that. So, what feeling or flavor do I want my players to experience? So, it depends on the game that I'm running, right? So, when I ran the After, which is a Savage Worlds setting, it's post-apocalypse. I want them to have a sense of, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It, it, it's it's post-apoc, so I want there to be, all of their decisions are, or could be a matter of life and death. In that game, I generally do not track encumbrance. I don't care about encumbrance a lot of times, but in the after, I did. I wanted them to know if they're going to pick up this piece of loot, is that piece of loot important enough to maybe either take a penalty to their rolls because they're now over-encumbered, or is it more important than another piece of gear that they may need to get rid of if they want to remain encumbrance-free or unencumbered? Um, So those are the types of things that I would think about for the after. For this grimdark setting that I'm running right now, I went with the... um, hard choices rule in Savage Worlds, which is, generally speaking, everybody starts off with bennies, including the the GM. The GM gets a benny for every single player at the table, plus his wild cards get two or three bennies, depending on which setting you're playing. 
Um, I've always done three bennies because wild cards are wild cards. I don't care if they're the GM controlled or not. So the GM has a pool of bennies. However, with hard choices, GMs start with zero bennies. And for those who don't know, bennies are a way that you can re-roll. It's kind of like uh, you don't like what happened. You spend a benny and you re-roll damage or you re-roll a trait check or you re-roll an attack or whatever it is. Um, and so I, I took the hard choices because I wanted the players to think about is this role important enough for me to spend a Benny and give that to the GM? Because that's how the GM gets Bennies now. So with the hard choices in play, I, I wanted it to force the players to think about those sorts of consequences. Am I willing to have fate intervene on my behalf at the expense of possibly fate screwing me down the road? And it screwed them hard in some places because I literally, they could have, uh, one shot killed the big bad guy, but because they had spent Benny's left and right earlier in the evening, I could drop. I, I dropped. I think it was like ten or fifteen Benny's on a reroll just to save that character's life, and completely soaked all the wounds from a massive attack. So those are the sorts of things that I think about when I'm going into that. It's like for this particular setting, what is the overall theme that I want? Is it hopelessness? Is it um, unabashed heroics like your typical D&D setting where I may throw more bennies or start them out with the um, born a hero setting rule where they get to pick some different edges that they normally wouldn't be able to at character creation. So that, that's how I kind of manage it. It just depends on the setting and the theme that I want to then help guide the players. And this is what we're going to be doing. No, I, I think you bring up a very good point where really how to get the, like, you kind of have to get them to feel the theme of the game and you can't really <laughs> ever have the same theme. And if you, like, even with the part, like, with, uh, you know, how do you want them to feel with their decision making, um, you can't necessarily nail it down because if you have a lot of decision making you're never going to the gm itself you're never going to be able to keep track of it all that's just way too much yeah. but at the same time if you don't really respond to their decision making then it kind of just feels more like it's railroading i think that's the best way to put it and yeah, yeah i think so and like i myself i love to give my players decisions on how to sculpt the world in fact I try and blend their own ideas into the world. Like we've discussed this before, and even in Dungeon World, I've kind of crafted a little bit of my story, my overarching, since I'm not doing a full overarching story like in a lot of games, and I'm doing more of a dungeon delve, I'm adding in parts and pieces of their background into the central hub for them to explore. Like for instance, like one of two of them are trying to smuggle drugs from the old world like from the place where they are now to put it back on a boat to send it back to the old world new world i don't know what you want to call it just for extra profit and that sounds like a ton of fun and it sounds like something that can get them in some serious trouble down the line and <laughs> um, it's going to be interesting and yeah even one it's just like one of the some of the players they they pretty much it's hilarious because they've even 
one of the players pretty much wanted to be kind of that Joe Schmo that everyone thinks very little of his abilities. And it's hilarious because I'm even thinking it's just like, would their own opinions start rubbing off on NPCs that they surround themselves with? And that's a question I have to tackle myself. And but still have to try and do it in a way that doesn't get too over cumbersome with the player himself to feel like he's being picked on. Yeah. So it's going to be that kind of nice little balance. So like, I don't know if there's really a right or wrong answer to say for, you know, well, there's no wrong answer overall. The right or wrong answer is for the GM and that particular group that they're playing with. Like, with with my grimdark fantasy game that I'm running right now, I did have to go in. I know my players. I know our personality types. And one of uh, one of them kind of laughed at me when I said, "Let's try to stay away from the Monty Python type tropes because <laughs> whenever we play fantasy, that's typically how we go in. We go in with this uh, Holy Grail type." game and we just it's all about yucks and it's it's a lot of fun and and we have a good time but for this i did ask them i'm like hey let's let's try and tone down it's like it's not that i don't want any comedy it's okay to have those moments where we're laughing and it's it's great for that but at the same time i don't want your character names to just be something stupid like dick bag or whatever because oh this will be a funny character no, these aren't going to be funny characters. I want them to be gritty characters. I want them to have some gravitas and and some some darkness to them because that's the setting. And so that's we went in and and they did a great job. I I love the characters that they've come up with and and they're they're leaning into it, which we still have those <laughs> those jokes that <laughs> unavoidably come up, but it's still fun. <laughs> um no. Um, so next question, what is the most creative or sandboxy tool for players to make new content with? Ooh. And he has quest conflicts, resolution, so revolution, re 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 resolution systems, enemy creation, bounties, stats, systems, etc., etc. That's... Ah. Honestly, you know what? Can, 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 let's, let's, let's go here. I, I want to come back to a different question in a second, but go, go ahead and say what you're going to say. Sorry. Okay. What I was going to say is honestly, I think the best tool you can do is just watch for inspiration. Like, I'm sure you can find tools online that are very helpful and everything like that. But then the day, like, everything that we do is just really kind of stealing and adding on to something that someone else created. Uh, one of the examples from the last episode you did was how the it was literally like what was that movie? I'm trying to remember, but where it was he was just asking the princess bride? Was that the movie you're talking about? Oh, the, yeah, sorry. the prince. Well, so the book was *Tress of the Emerald Sea*, and the movie that Brandon Sanderson had watched was *The Princess Bride*, and that's where he got the idea for the story. Yeah. like, and if, if you didn't, you got something. Yeah, and if you didn't tell me that, I would have never known that in a million years. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's kind of cool that an idea from The Princess Bride could literally turn into that. Like, it's yeah. so different, but at the same time, like, now that you mention it, like, you can kind of see some similarities. 
but it's just a whole different direction and there's nothing wrong with taking inspiration i feel like some people treat that as like a bad word but it's really not no well there's nothing new i mean there there are no new plots all my everything's say that again i said all my ideas are new and unique new and unique to you (laughs) (laughs) but but i mean seriously every every story is a rehash of a certain type there are only so many ways that we can do stuff and now we're just exploring different ways of approaching those same tropes those same storylines and we we inject some new ideas we we may tweak some things to make it interesting for us but generally speaking all we are as a as a race is rehash in fact i was reading this book called steal like an artist and even back in ancient Egypt, so like more than 4,000 years ago, an Egyptian poet was lamenting that all the good words have been used. <laughs> so it's like even back 4,000 years ago, people were already saying, you know what, there, there's nothing new here. Um, and so I, I really like that because it does take some pressure off of us to, to think that we have to be wholly and completely unique because we're never going to be. Um, heck, I thought I had come up with something with the setting that I'm working on, uh, the Forbidden, uh, the, or sorry, the Forlorn Sea. I thought I'd come up with some unique ideas, and I was I'm working on this, and then somebody says, "Hey, you should check this out." And so I go and start reading. Like, crap! There is so much that the, there are so many things that are similar about them that people will swear that I just stole it from. And I'm like, I've never read this book before in my life, yeah. ever. Um, so. Is my is my stuff inspired by that? No, it's not. It, it was inspired by a trip to a to a children's science museum, and that was <laughs> it. That's where all of my inspiration came from. Um, and so uh, there's that. The, the for for me though, when we talk about what are the creative or sandboxy tools that we can use to create content, I will tell you my favorite are random generators. One of my most memorable Lankmar games that I ever played was a uh, random. The, the the GM for the night says, "Hey guys, I've got a I've got a cancel for tonight. I can't play." And the rest of us had been looking forward to playing. So there's a, "Hey Rich, how about a Lankmar?" Like, okay, let's do let's do a Lankmar game. Um, I have nothing planned, so I pull out this adventure generator, and it's not Lankmar specific, but it came up with some stuff and. The characters had such a makeup. They're like, I can totally make this work. And to this day, it is one of the best games that I, I think I've ever run. It was it was a ton of fun. It was spur of the moment. And related to that, Savage Worlds has a, has a, has a mechanic called the Adventure Deck, which gives the players some narrative control over the game. So, like, you may have a card that allows you to get out of jail. Um, somebody else may have a card that allows them to do double damage when they um, hit somebody with a successful melee attack. Somebody may have a way to soak all the wounds. And these are just cards that you can play randomly. Um, yeah. You can, barring any other rules or things like that, you get one card per rank, and you get to play one card per night. Um, there are some ways that that get modeled gets modified so it's not like it's an overpowered thing and some cards are in our group we would consider them junk cards like 
love interest where you can have uh, sort of romantic relationship of some sort with an NPC. Um, we get that. I'm like, well, there's a useless card for tonight because that's just <laughs> not the play. But those sorts of things allow the players some narrative control that now forces the GM to come up with uh, or, or react to it. And to me, that's a lot of fun as a GM is like, here's something I wasn't expecting. And yeah, it may ruin what I thought was going to be a big, a big scene, but it can also take the, the, the game in a completely different direction. And so for me, those are the fun things. The other, the other thing that I will say, and this has led to one of the most rewarding game experiences I've had, and that is players need choices in order to be able to react to the world. Yeah. And I was playing Coriolis, and they were in the spot where I needed them to have a choice of, do we do this thing or do we do this other thing? And I was really trying to distract them away from one aspect that they were really focused on. And so I, I, they're like, we're going to do this. I'm like, okay, that's fine. If that's what you really want to do, we'll go down that path. But is there a way that I can give you a choice to make? And so I looked at the character backgrounds and there was one that said, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have this person show up. And it spawned a completely different character arc that I that was unplanned. Um, we just finished that story arc the other night. And all of them said this was like one of the best campaigns they've played in because it revolved around the character's backstory because they thought I had scripted the entire thing. I'm like, no. All, all I did was... <laughs> I threw a choice out there that I had no plan for. You guys ran with that plan, and all I could do is react to what you were doing and ask myself, what would be the next logical thing that could happen in this scenario? Isn't that like one of the biggest compliments as a GM you can kind of have is your game felt scripted when you're just like, it definitely wasn't. I had, <laughs> yeah. I had that with my shiver game when they're like, you know, it felt like some scenes were really scripted. I was like, I didn't plan anything. And they're like, what yeah. do you mean? It, and it feels, and it feels good. It does. Yeah. And it, because like, I think for them, they're just thinking, it's like, this just went too, this went too well. Like, it mm -hmm. seems like we're being railroaded to this. It's like, no, this is literally just <laughs> how it occurred. You just played and I just said words afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I've had that once with Shiver, and it's still like I want to go back to Shiver after getting that compliment. I'm actually waiting because I've ordered some of the specialty dice. I'm just waiting to get those in, and I want to play so bad. <laughs> That's but, cool. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it it's cool. It yeah. Okay, I have a question for you. Kind of just popped to my head when we're when you're talking. Um. So. This is okay. If Savage Worlds for some reason just magically didn't exist anymore, which mm -hmm. is your favorite system, what system would you probably have gravitated to? Or what game? That's great question. Yeah. Um, f for me, D&D. No. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, that being said, I grew up with D&D. I played D&D from 1E, actually basic, to expert, to 1E, or to like AD&D 1E, 
yeah. all the way up through three. I don't even think I made it to three and a half. And that's at that point, we'd already discovered Savage Worlds. So yeah. the great game systems that I have played, um, I've really enjoyed things like Boot Hill, which is a D100. I enjoyed Gamma World, which was not D&D, but I believe, if I remember correctly, it was still D20 based. Um, Star Frontiers, which was a lot of fun. However, some of the most unique and creative games was like Deadlands Classic, which Savage Worlds is a derivative of. Uh, but it's like a cross between that and the Great Rail Wars miniatures game. Yeah. So Savage Worlds makes sense. Deadlands was a lot of fun. However, where I sit right now, if I had to pick another game system to replace Savage Worlds with, it would probably be your Zero Engine from Coriolis because they they are free or sorry from Free League Press because they've just yeah. done a great. They, I every game that I've played from Free League, I've really enjoyed. Forbidden Lands, loved it. Coriolis, I'm loving it. Um, I haven't played uh, Aliens, but the folks that I do game with that have played it and have played those other games, they've enjoyed Aliens. Um, so that they do a really good job. And I would say that Free League is probably my favorite game company just because of the quality of their products that they put out. Their products, even though I don't play all of them, I have a hard time not buying them because they're gorgeous books <laughs> and they are inspiring to me. Yeah, I kind of figured you're going to say freely because I know you really <laughs> like them. Um, their in-house system, I'm not a huge fan of. I'm not going to lie, but I like some. I like a lot of their more like their games. Some of the games that they pump, publish, like I was reading Into the Odd, and I was like. This is a really neat set. I wish I took your advice when the Kickstarter was up because I know you backed it, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I kind of wish I backed it. It's it's, it. I only got the PDF, and I was like, "It's a gorgeous book. I would have bought this in a heartbeat." And I kind of want to run it. I just got too many ideas for things I want to run, so I kind of have to put it to the side until uh, (laughs) I can, you know, figure out what to run after Dungeon World. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and you know, the funny thing is with this last game that we just wrapped up. Yeah. Uh, the Coriolis game that that had the, the concluding story arc. I asked the guys, I'm like, hey, we're at a point where we've just finished one entire story arc. Mm-hmm. If you want to continue, I'm totally happy to continue. We've been playing it for over a year now. Um, I'm happy to keep playing it. But if you want to shift gears and, and go to something else, I'm cool with that. And there are other game systems that I may have to learn because, well, they may want to do... Um, Wicked Ones, which is a Forged in the Dark based on like Blades in the Dark. I uh, Yeah, I remember Matt from the server, he was talking yeah. about it. And I, it, it does look really cool. I don't own the book. I just heard the premise of it, and I was like, that sounds really neat. Well, I, I've backed all of their Kickstarters. So like the original Wicked Ones Kickstarter, I backed. So I, I've got the book, I've got the cards, I've got just about everything there is to get for Wicked Ones. I've never played it. Yeah. Um, but I've heard good things about Forged in the Dark. I've heard, I know that you and Scott love uh, the DCC and MCC. Um, Power, or, well, yeah, the, the Crawl Classics, I'll put it that way. Yeah, the Crawls. <laughs> my, my assumption is it's all the same basic system, just is it fantasy yeah. versus mutants? Blade, Could be different. Uh, Blades in the Dark is very different from DCC, MCC. So is DCC a, a Forged in the Dark? No, no, no. DCC, MCC. No, no, no. Okay. It's, that's more, what I it's, you know, it's an OSR. Um, yeah, 
And that, uh, that's what I was thinking. What I was well, saying is uh, yeah. I haven't played those. I know that you guys seem to like those ones. I've not played them, so I don't know if they're yeah. good or not. I, I could try them. But again, they're probably a D20-based thing. And yeah, I don't know. Um, they're sort of D20, but it goes up to a D32. Mm. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. it uses it. And I, I think the cool, because like it is a narrative system. Like yeah. it is mostly all narrative, but it's like, it is what I would say is a, a real OSR system. Yeah. Like that system is meant to be kind of like the old school, but then they have so many fun tables. Like, have you, have you read it at all? I have not. Um, no, I, I, I've got the DCC collector's, edition i mean it's like you about that thick look through the spells that is where a lot of it is fun because they're spell i told you we get off topic by the way um there's <laughs> spells because it's like it's just a pass or fail so it's like you can roll 14 and you succeed but the thing is it's there's degrees of success when it comes to spell casting so like you could end up doing some serious harm to yourself with the spell or like my my favorite one was fireball because like you can self engulf yourself in flames by accident if you roll horribly you it could the spell could fizzle out or if you roll and this is the biggest the highest degree which the chance of doing it is probably like maybe once maybe once like i mean like and in your whole game maybe for like an entire year and that's where you get like a 32 and that's when you burn through all your shit just to try and as a fail safe. Um, and that one, it's like um, a meteor comes down from the sky uh, and engulfs in flames a 40 meteor radius within 2000 miles of you and do does something like, uh, I think it's like 40 D 10 damage. <laughs> but, like, that, that's like an extreme. So like there's all these different degrees of success and it's the tables for the spells is what makes it really cool or and it has my favorite warrior character or fighter character in any game because they actually made fighters fun instead of it just being kind of basic or just overcomplicating them with a whole bunch of different maneuvers with different mechanics and different rules that you have to keep track of it, it, it it's gotcha. Just you'll love it. You'll love it, man. See, I, 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 uh, I enjoy that sort of thing, and that that kind of gets into. So you thought we were off topic, but really, I don't think we are. <laughs> and, and here's why: um, one of the questions that Mask Bandit asked was, "How did does existentialism lean into the rules of this game?" And what you just described is about that to some extent, right? It, it's it, it concerned with the existence of of themselves, right? This wizard is, you, you have to be good so you don't have those horrible failures. Yeah. And, and so you, you really start thinking about those sorts of, those sorts of things. Uh, um, with my, and this is where it's fun for me as well when I'm playing with, my, uh, with some of my groups. The game that I'm, that I'm working on um, is one that I've played in the past with two or three different groups. And in the one that I was playing with my kids, Orin really leaned into it as a magic user. He he was he was this wizard character, leans into it. His whole thing becomes around him living in this world, 
he wants to find all the magic there is to find. They're dealing with the environment. They're dealing with the, the existence of all these different threats from sandstorms to the undead to other monsters, whatever. But his magic was so important to him that it, it was hilarious because he would lean into it so far that he found a potion. He's like, I want to know what this potion does. I'm drinking it. I'm like, <laughs> are you sure? Yeah, I'm, I'm drinking this potion. Okay. And he ends up almost blowing himself up because it wasn't a potion at all. It was like, <laughs> it, it, it was a, it was like a wizard's flame sort of potion that just burst into like 3d6 damage in a medium burst template. He took, he like took damage himself along with the damage that he did to his party, just from him popping the cork and exposing it to air, oh my which God. cracked me up. I'm like, dude. And then after that, every time he's like, wait, like, Man, I really want to drink this potion. I'm like, dude, I'll give you a Benny if you do. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, it's like a hindrance on its own. Must yeah. must taste if think food. Yeah. But <laughs> but I mean to, to your point, what you just described for those spells, there was something there was a similar mechanic in my world where wizards, if they screwed up or if they rolled in certain ways, the magic was random at that point. Yeah. He would there was one time he cast a spell and and he ended up summoning like three giant scorpions that they now had to contend with in addition to the foe that they were already fighting with. And so that to me is a lot of fun. When you think about what are the mechanics of this world, how does that infa- uh, impact the characters themselves and, and the choices that they can make? That yeah. is a lot of fun. So, I mean, injecting that into it and trying to help the players realize what are these characters concerned with in this world and helping them get there. That, that, that's, that's a ton of fun. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Now, do, do we want to... <laughs> I'm going to go back here real quickly. Look at that question that we were talking about for the tools. Yeah. The, the sandbox tools. Um, because there are things in here that I think I've covered. We, we talked about random adventure generators. Yeah. Um, resolution systems. Are there any resolution systems that you feel are interesting in any of the games that you've played? I, 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 there's one that I can think of that I haven't played, but I want to hear your thoughts on that first. Okay. Resolutions. I think, and I, I've mentioned this game quite a bit, but it kind of just shows for like, how much of an imprint it's kind of left on me. And that is Shiver. And the rev- resolution mechanics that they had were literally like, in order to decide what the big baddie is doing, I had to, like, I had to roll to see what he was actually doing. He had moves that he would do at every roll. And of course, you know, based off the system, I might do some kind of, uh, I might, play with the character as it's the character itself but then like what's when they're in kind of like a combative state or when he's doing something that's a little bit more action oriented i would roll the dice and i would base it off of what what he's going to be doing based off of what he is most likely to do and it it was really cool to play it like that um and it was it really opened my eyes to a way of playing that I never really knew about. So yeah, I, th- I just thought it was really freaking cool. That's cool. The, yeah. the the one that that 
has always interested me and I want to try the game just to see what it's like, mm -hmm. but it's one that I think would be a lot more difficult electronically, which is how I play almost exclusively anymore, just because I don't have a group locally that I play with. Ooh, do tell. And that is Dread. Oh, yeah. With the Jenga Tower. Yeah. To me, that is such an interesting <laughs> mechanic that I'd love to see it in practice and in play. Yeah. Because that kind of crosses that bound. Like going back to that existentialism question, how do, how do you lean into that existentialism? To me, that Jenga Tower is all about. I mean, as a player, you are now starting to feel what your character has to feel as you're trying to pull this pig. It's like, uh huh, or this peg. I mean, it's like, oh man, is this tower going to collapse? <laughs> so I just, I've always found that kind of an interesting mechanic that I'd love to see in play. Oh, that would be cool. I would. Kind of sucks because there's something I wish I could say, but I don't know if I could say it on air because it's a project that I know that's being worked on. Oh, yeah, <laughs> which really sucks because it's really eating me up right now. But unlike any <laughs> secrets about ourselves that I automatically divulge, just like you know how Scott's, you know, right now fighting mermaids in the ocean, which I lied. It turns out <laughs> a man, but I lied again. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to say the real reason, but it does involve <laughs> vampires in Afghanistan. Uh, uh, man. <laughs> hey. Just watch for the black helicopters flying over your house. That's all I'm going to say. All of a sudden, si you hear sirens in the background. <laughs> uh, that'd be funny. Yep. Anyways. Um, okay, what's the next one? This one, I actually really like this question. Um, what feature or groove can players take from it says this game, but really any game and enrich uh, other RPGs with what is there something that you either do yourself or that you read in a book that you think every book should have? I'm going to reword it. Y you know, I don't know that everyone should have it. But there are things that I have stolen from other games and bring them into Savage Worlds and vice versa. Yeah. For example, in Savage Worlds, I love the card-based mechanics. Mm -hmm. I love those. For initiative, it is absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I love that. And I also love the fact that you can have randomly generated things with the card mechanics. So, for example, um, Golden Glory, which is a setting for Savage Worlds that tries to emulate the old school, the OSR feel in Savage Worlds. Yeah. Um, that had this really cool mechanic where you could randomly generate a dungeon based on the card, like the, the card type, the card suit. All those things would play into the shape of the dungeon, which yeah. was a lot of fun. But we can now use cards for other things. There's chases. There's um, I, I've got some things that I use cards for that I'm experimenting with in a combat system um, for Savage Worlds. So I, I love the card-based mechanics and the way that can be applied to other areas as well because cards are fairly ubiquitous. There are things in Year Zero, uh, like Forbidden Lands or Coriolis, that I have stolen and bring those over into Savage Worlds because to me they're just brilliant. And, and a lot of that is around your um, like usage. And this may not be unique to that game system. I don't know if it's the first one that did this or if it's 
just one in a series of games that have done it. But it was the first place where I encountered the usage, meaning you have a D6 in arrows and you have a D6 in torches. And after every fight, you roll that D6. And if you roll a one, now it's a D4 in arrows. And so rather than having to keep track of, did I buy 20 arrows and how many arrows were recoverable, that sort of stuff, it's just a usage mechanic that I find absolutely brilliant because I hate having to keep track of how many torches I have, how many arrows I have, how much food do I have. Just yeah. roll the just roll the die and see if your food goes down or if it stays static. It's almost like a quality of life improvement, right? Yeah. Like it just kind yeah. of it helps things move along. It makes it so that you don't just have 10 million arrows in your in your back pocket. It's just I I 100% get that one. That actually makes a lot of sense. And as for the cards, I am always for any type of cards, deck of cards added into any game. I'm always down for that. I don't care what the system is. (laughs) Um, I always keep them within hand. Like, seriously. I always have at least one deck near me at all times. All times, pretty much. I even bring them to work. I I have some near me. I just don't have one on my desk. Oh, actually, I do. How can you tell cards? <laughs> oh, nice. I don't have any tarot cards. I do have. Oh, sorry, that wasn't tarot. This was something else. I do have tarot cards, but they're not on my desk at the moment. This here is speaking of adventure generators. This is an adventure generator. I got a 17 of hearts. <laughs> now I did see I did see a deck of cards. Uh so this will be off topic. We did see a deck of cards at a CVS that had five suits. It had your standard club, spades, hearts, and diamonds, but it also had stars. Oh, I, I, I honestly, I like, I love decks of cards. I invest way too much in decks of cards. I have this one shop that I go to every once in a while that the guy just collects a bunch of cards. I will always keep cards on me. I have them at work. Like I shuffle them when I'm thinking. Like it's starting to become almost like an obsession. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. Now for me, what I would suggest adding in to every single game that you play, and I'm saying every single game that you play, and that is like let's say you're playing D and D. Crack open your dungeon world, and. Look at the character creation and find the questions. Then take those questions out and use them in game in your session zero. Trust me, your players will love them. It is so much fun, even as the GM, because like there are times where they're trying to figure out how it work. And I would just throw out this little small snippet of an idea and they're like, this is awesome. I love it. And I'm like, that's so cool. And then they just kind of made it their own. And like they have, I think, for PBTAs, there's enough games out there where if you don't know any questions, just look at, and you don't even need to buy the book. You can go to the, because uh, all the playbooks are always free. So just go yeah. take a look at the playbook for that. Like if you're running a modern day Monster Hunter, it's like, okay, well, then go with Monster of the Week. I'm sure, they have a pirate game. I don't know what it is. Or if you're running wrestling, well, then you're probably going to be running that PBA, PBTA game. But like, seriously, just. Even come up with your own, like if you know someone's playing like a certain class system, and even if they, if the people are coming up with the characters on the fly, you, you like if it's a session zero, take note of what they're writing down, and then you write questions for them, 
for them to ask and for them yeah. to get the other players to fill in who exactly they're talking about. Like it's, it's just a fun way to tie the group together and create a more organic dynamic, either from we're all friends that we met in a pub and we're automatically going to die for each other. Like no, but having this thing in, it just kind of adds that sense of history that didn't exist beforehand. Yeah. Well, a similar thing would be the backstory cards, which I used with the Coriolis game, which was a lot of fun. And to your point, it it ties the group together. I I haven't looked at the dungeon world questions. I'll have to get that book and check it out. Yeah. Well, even I said it, just check out the playbook. Yeah. Cause they're in there on each, on each class. Oh, cool. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I I agree. Those are, I I have become a big fan of session zeros where you kind of collaboratively talk Mm -hmm. about what are we wanting out of this particular game? I've got my ideas. I come into this game with, the GM mentality of, I want to tell this kind of a story. But if the players aren't interested in that kind of a story, better to find out early than, than late. <laughs> well, no, that I, I think he actually probably touched on even better of an answer. And that is always do, a, like, as long as it's possible, always do a session zero. Yeah. It adds so much to the game. And it's not just a, I'm going to help you create your character kind of thing. It really can if utilized correctly, add so much more to the game than a GM could just do by himself. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, the thing is, I think that's, that's where, for a long time, my idea of a Session Zero was, it's like, I'm going to help you create characters. I play with groups who have been, we've been gaming together for a long time. We know how to build characters. All of us know how to make <laughs> characters. We don't need that. Yeah. But the Session Zero is can and should be more than that now it's it's like let's have this mm-hmm. conversation and it's a lot of fun so i i i think we could honestly do i'm gonna write this one down a whole entire episode on session zero because to be honest I and that should have been our session zero episode but you know <laughs> well no our session zero episode was our very first episode where we're introducing ourselves but, um, but, but that's what I'm saying. We should we should have had a session zero, session zero. <laughs> <laughs> a session zero, session Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. But <laughs> I, I I think it's probably one of the most. It I think it it's kind of turned into one of the most important sessions players can have for a game. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt, I think it is one of the most important sessions. After one, defeating the baddies, everything like that. That's all just, that's all play and that's all fun. But you really set the tone with that, with that one. All right. Yep. Uh, question about RPG design. Um, oh, this is the one from Other Scott. He, he insulted me. <laughs> uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, thank you for the question, Other Scott. And by the way, you still need to come on the show. We are actually talking about this before it even started. How... Uh, you know, we really want you on. So no pressure, but pressure. Uh, but question about RPG design. How do you manage your own personal projects when there is no deadline or accountability to anyone other than yourself and your growing collection of RPG notes? Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next question. 
no, 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 no. Right, this is this is an important one. This is an important one. It, it, it is. So here's here's the thing. Um, and, and this will be something I learned when I was going for my MFA uh, back in my college days. There comes a point where you just have to do it. You, you sit down and you say, you know what? I am going to set, dedicate this amount of time to doing this. And you set it aside and you just stick to it. Right now, my wife knows that, generally speaking, Monday and Tuesday, I'm going to come up here and try to work on some of that writing stuff um, to, to try and get things done. Yeah. Now, I do shift around from project to project. Like my Forlorn C setting, I had a goal to have that launched in Kickstarter early this year, like around the January timeframe. But I, I got to the point where I'm like, you know what? I don't feel that it's ready yet as much as I want it to be. There are things that I'm still trying to figure out. There's probably some more playtesting that needs to be done for some of the things that I'm wanting to introduce, that sort of stuff. I, I want to get some more art in the bag before I kickstart it. So I've got some really cool visuals and things like that. So there are things that I just need to, to work on for that. But there are other projects that I could also move forward at the same time. And so that's when I did my adventure deck uh, fantasy styled. And being able to put that together and get that out there was great for me because it gave me confidence that it's like, you know what? I did finish this one thing. It is out there for public consumption. Whether people are using it or not, doesn't matter. I at least have a little bit of momentum now and I can have confidence that I can get these other things done. When it came time for my MFA, I had to, I had to have a literal novel written before I could graduate. So at the beginning of my final semester, I had to submit a completed draft of my novel. They, were, they would give me feedback. And then by the middle of that semester, I had to have that entire novel rewritten. And so I came up with accountability partners for myself, which was, I'm going to dedicate this amount of time, but I also let my family know, hey, I've got to do this thing. I need your help in having me get it done. And so there were times when I would try to procrastinate and my family can say, hey, aren't you supposed to be working on this thing? Yes. And then they would guilt me into going back in and working on that thing. And so right now I, I do that with Audra where I, I say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be working. And she's like, totally cool. And she's fine with that. She doesn't try to make me feel guilty about working on that. She supports that. And then when I need to bounce ideas off of somebody, I, I've got that partner there that I can bounce ideas off of and get feedback on immediately. Even though she's not a gamer, she at least can tell me, yeah, that, that feels cool or that sounds really awesome mm -hmm. or, yeah, that sounds kind of mid. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, as someone who has is definitely not as far along as you, uh, who's currently working on an idea who's having a lot of fun working on the same idea and considering I've been working on this idea for now two, three weeks and I haven't swapped off and I'm still interested. I think this is going to be a good idea. Um, it's not, it's not easy, especially when you have a lot of stuff that's going on in your life. When you have other stuff that you kind of end up pop, like not even like life's busy. We all know it. we're all adults here. We're not kids. If I was 16 again, I probably would have had it written and it would have been horrible. As an adult, I don't have much time. I have even less time than I did a year ago. 
Um, but you kind of just got to say to yourself, like, do you really want to do this? And if the answer is yes, you kind of just have to bite the bullet. Yeah. And I agree with the accountability buddies, uh, where you should have someone who's going to try and help you be accountable for your actions. And if you have a spouse, significant other, they are, they are supportive. They know you and they will help you out in any case they have. Like for instance, uh, right now, not saying what the idea is, but, uh, my significant other is saying, okay, I will watch a bunch of 1950s movies with you. <laughs> that will be a little hint that, she, that's just earned her sainthood you realize <laughs> she the thing is she likes 1950s movies but well she she does definitely like like the black and white movies and all that kind of stuff but she tends to go more for like you know the old comedies or the ones like you know the actual like monroe yeah. yeah yeah she tends to go with those ones and the ones i'm recommending might not have been cheesy at the time, but right now, if you were to watch back, you would. Oh, they were probably cheesy at the time too. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anyone who was alive to watch those movies, so I can't really say. <laughs> oh, but yeah. Now I, I will also say there are um, other tactics that you can take as well. So I have started trying to look at ways to improve myself. Right. Um, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to develop new tools and skills that I don't necessarily possess at the moment. And some of the things that I'm reading kind of make sense. It, it, to me, they make sense. They, they may not make sense for you. And that's totally cool. But like one of the things that and I've read this in more than one book around creativity and all that stuff. And that is. Get off of the computer initially. The way that one writer put it is the computer is for finishing the project. That's when you go in and you're now doing the editing. But during the the building of the project, do it by hand. Write, write in a notebook or whatever and fill it out by hand because that gets your whole body engaged in the work. And it is easier for us to turn off our internal editor if I can't just hit the delete key and rework that entire sentence. Now, yes, we do strike out lines and, and things like that, but it's a lot more effort to do that than it is to delete a sentence and retype it. And so we tend not to do it as much. It's like, you know what, that's good enough for now. I'll catch it in editing when I go back and finish it. So um, one artist recommended that you just do everything longhand initially. And then when you want to rework it or refine it, that's when you start putting it in the computer. And I tend to not do that, but I'm going to give it a shot because I've heard that in more than one place as a way to help unlock some of our creativity and push us forward. That's, I might actually do that idea because I I find with the computer, I get distracted. Like yeah. I end up doing this or I'll do this for a while. And even, even with my own like schoolwork that I'm doing right now, there's times where I'm like, you know, I'm reading on the computer is not as... Satisfying. Beneficial, satisfying, <laughs> beneficial. There's just so many distractions, especially when you're just moving from article to article, where you're just like, oh, you know, I might, I could just do, uh, I could play this game a little bit. I can do that a little bit. I can do this a little bit, and yeah. then all, and then all of a sudden, you just bought, uh, what was it? You just end up buying 
Transport Fever Tycoon, uh, Transport Fever 2, just so that you can, uh, you know, design a train line, which I don't need to do, but I did it. <laughs> now, I will also say, though, the other part of distraction is with, with the computer. I, I think you're, what you're getting at is so on point for me is I, I can fake myself into getting distracted. I'm working on my document on the computer. Oh, you know what? I need a name for this, or I need to understand this a little bit more. So I'm just, I'm going to go pause here. I'm going to go do some research. Yeah. You start surfing the web and, and you start off good. Cause it's like, <laughs> you start off looking for the thing that you need to look for. Then you're like, Oh wait, maybe I should check Facebook. I got a, I've got a little red flashy icon there. Oh, you know what? Maybe I should check Twitter. Oh, maybe I should do that. And suddenly what started out as research is no longer research because you're just finding time to distract yourself. Oh yeah. 100%. So, yeah, get, get off the computer for a little bit and give that a shot. Yep. I think, honestly, a writing journal for your game is probably the best thing you can possibly do. Yeah. And that's saying from someone who's way too addicted to his screens. Yeah, uh, yeah, same oh, here. here. I'm way too addicted to my screens. Uh, it's probably a little bit more of a problem than it should be. But yeah. Wow. That's... Oh, the other thing, you know, the other thing that I just read, in fact, I, I read it and I brought it in with me here and I, it's because it was such a great piece of advice that I think a lot of times I'd, I'd known this already but it's something that we forget and I tend to forget and that is the blank page is intimidating when you sit down to write that blank page can be very intimidating because the entire world is possible now Yeah, and counterintuitively if we set restrictions around things, that actually helps us unlock our creativity. When I'm using a random adventure generator, I'm now restricting it to whatever these results are that came up. And they force me to think about interesting ways that I can fit them all together. And in this book that I was reading, uh, the title of the chapter was Choose What to Leave Out. In this age of information, abundance, and overload, those who get ahead will be the folks who figure out what to leave out so they can concentrate on what's really important to them. And that, to me, is some of the best advice. And this, this was not a, a um, book on game design or anything like that, but it did reinforce to me that, you know what, if we're working on a setting, if we're working on a project, figure out what is the most important and let's leave a lot of the other stuff out. We don't have to say, oh, well, we need to have 50 races in here because people want to play all these different things. No, figure out what the most important races are. Figure out what the most interesting aspect of this is. You don't have to cover an entire world. Maybe you just cover one specific continent of that world and focus your adventures on that thing. Yeah. Um, and just start adding restrictions to get it down to something that's manageable that also unlocks your creativity because now you have to find ways. Oh, I want to tell this, but how can I tell that if I'm locked into this one landlocked continent and this is a water-based adventure? How do I, how do, I do that um, sort of thing? So choose what to leave out. Yeah, no, that, that's actually good advice. Um, I know you had one question from Facebook. Did you want to say that one? Oh, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> there, there's this uh, community in Louisville called Nerd Louisville Community. And somebody in that group posted role-playing, world exploration, or combat. Which is your all-time favorite part of TTRPGs and why? 
So I've already answered that on Facebook. I'll answer it here, but I want to hear your thoughts on that first. Okay, so, so, so role-playing, world exploration, or combat? Role-playing. What is your favorite part of TTRPGs? Role-playing, easy. Yeah? Huh? Okay, so that, now the why. Okay, with role-playing, maybe this is like, because like I've said in the past, I, I used to be a theater kid. Um, and, <laughs> you know, uh, but... um. Scott's not and, here. I had to say it. Yeah, he would have said nerd. <laughs> but hopefully he doesn't, you know, get infected with vampirism or something like that. Um, <laughs> but um, to be honest, I find just because the, the RP allows you to play around unrestrict, unrestricted from mechanics or anything like that. Of course, you know, there is the social co- mechanics, all that stuff. But it's I think it's like one of the more truer parts of an RPG where this is the part where you are actually getting into character. You're doing this combat itself. You don't ever need to be in character with combat. You don't need to, and you can still be successful. I RP even in combat. Um, I RP when I'm doing anything, even if it's at my own detriment, because it's just more enjoyable for me to try and play that character than it is to kill that bad guy. And sometimes I even myself forget that and I start going more into the combat. And then I, I asked myself, I was like, why didn't I enjoy that session as well? And it's because I kind of fell off my own thing because it's easier to disregard the RP. But it's the RP that is the most fun. Now, Finder, I kind of already know your answer. But what is it? <laughs> Actually, it's going to surprise you. <laughs> what because... is it? Those are not none of those three things are my favorite parts about TTRPGs. Really, I thought combat was that. That that's one of them. I I I love combat in TTRPGs, but my favorite part of TTRPGs is actually getting together with my friends. Even oh. if we play minimally, I I I have for me it's about connecting with with my friends and having a good time and telling a shared story. And if we have a session and. and this happened in some of my games where we had gone like five or six sessions with zero combat, but they were all a total blast because as a group, we were having a lot of fun. We were joking around. We did a lot of role play. I love combat. That, that, that is one of my favorite parts of the systems is the combat. Yeah. But for me, if, if I'm not having a good time with my friends, what's the point of gaming? And that, that's when I'll back out. Yeah. So uh, I, there's a bunch of groups that I don't game with because I just didn't have fun. And then the ones that where I have fun are the ones that I stick with. So those are my favorite. Now, if you take that part of it and say, okay, that's a given. That's why people game anyway. That's not why people game. People game with strangers all the time because they want to yeah. talk funny voices or whatever. Then, then I'm probably more towards the combat side, but I, I like all of them almost equally because the role playing is a lot of fun. I yeah. don't do the funny voices, but it is fun to try and figure out what your character is going to do. And to your point, to me, it's a lot more fun if you can find a way that it's to the detriment of your character. Yeah. Like that, 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 that one game that we played, the powered by the apocalypse where I was the paladin. Oh, that, yeah. that was a lot of fun. And I, I, as a player, I'm like going, Give me a reason not to go down these stairs. 
give me a re because I don't want to go down these <laughs> stairs. But I had to, especially after I after I played that one that one move where I'm like asking my God, and the guy's like, "This is definitely evil." It's okay. Well, I got to go destroy evil now. So I yeah, or uh, I remember uh, when we were playing uh, Cyberpunk Red, and yes. our GM um, tempted us with money, and my character, being who he is, knew better and knew it was a trap, but. The money will have sounded too good, and I ended up with the mechanics having what one of my hands completely blown off, and then the other one got shot off, and I ended up dying, and we all ended up dying. And hell, he it just was like tempting us little by little, and I we ended up doing a lot of things that I remember my character was supposed to be was like. We shouldn't be doing this. And you guys are like, yeah, but if you were locked in the trunk, wouldn't you want to do it? It's like, yeah, but we're dealing with some gangers. And you guys are like, no, we got it. I'm like, fine. But if anything backfires on us, and guess what? It did. But <laughs> you, we were all RPing, and your, you guy, your guys' characters made me feel like such a horrible person <laughs> that I, I gave into, I broke my own ethics, which were bad ethics, but still ethics to begin yeah. with. And yeah, which but, you know, the funny thing about that is, even with the current the, the current game with that group, yeah, um, we're we're onto a traveler game at the moment, which is a ton of fun, having a blast. I'm playing a space marine. I had all these grand visions for the space yeah. marine. Character creation does not go the way I expect it to go. I end up, um, I wanted to go into the like one of the military academies to start off with, yeah. and then go into the service i end up getting drafted instead of being able to go to school then i'm in the service i get like one promotion but i was injured so many times that i finally got kicked out of the service i lost an <laughs> arm i mean the oh character just God. all these things but so then he goes from being like a a space marine to being a drifter oh my God. and he's just running around and i, I figure okay during this time of his life as a drifter, he is a strong man for probably for some nefarious people. He's on the uh, outside of the law rather than working within. And so that's just how his character is. And so he's got all this bravado to the point where we are in this space station that we just discovered. It's like it's a, a secret base sort of thing. And these robots come in and I'm like, ah, crap. Because my character's the he's he's the he's the tank he's the he's the guy that's going to do all the damage and and so he has to literally step in front of one of the other characters rather than leaving multiple targets open because that guy is the brains I I need the brains alive so it's like <laughs> so now I'm having to make um, choices that my character would prefer not to do which is step in step in the line of bullets and take take all the heat and to this day that has become his his milu of if there's a fight he is not hiding behind stuff if he if he um can help it so it's like he, he's charging down like this guy is opening fire on him and he's charging him head on and like why are you going why are you going at him like that i'm like because have you seen his armor so I have to I have to go at him with my with my uh, <laughs> monoblade. 
<laughs> so so I rush into to attack him with a sword. <laughs> so they're like, dude, that's insane. <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna lie, like I can't wait for my schooling to be done. Cause and tell the tell the GM next, because I know you guys play on Saturday morning. Yeah. Tell him I really miss his games. I had so much fun. It was my favorite Saturday morning activity. I always had such a freaking blast. Yeah. And I just can't wait to be done because I want to hop back into his games as long as he'll have me because they're great. <laughs> they're always fun. Yep. I'll let him know. Yeah. <laughs> I miss him. I miss the group. I had so much fun with them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But anyways, uh, we're hitting a little bit over an hour, so probably should uh this was a lot of fun finder we never yeah. just do me and you it's yeah god always gets in the way of our bromance one-on-one <laughs> <laughs> with santa oh yeah <laughs> with santa. i haven't gotten to do that one in a while uh, yeah and we'll have to yeah. do we'll have to do a one-on-one with you pretty at soon. some point definitely yeah pretty soon you're, you're getting close I, I'm, I'm getting close. I, I, I need to finish some stuff up. I need to reach out to the artist again and, and get some more art commissioned. But mm-hmm. well, it's never done. You no, I gotta. As Scott would say, you kind of just gotta. You just gotta release it. You gotta. Yeah. About the Kickstarter, and I'm close. There, are, there are some things that I think I need to fill in some holes. There's some, uh, some things I still need to work out. But but I, I I'm getting to the point where I want to do a jump start or a quick start. Yeah. With just it as a quick well. start guide just yeah. so people can try it out. Yeah. Smart. Get some I'm sure there's a, I'm sure there's a few people in the Discord who would help you out with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But that, that, yeah. I get some more playtest. I mean I I've played it and I, I I'm learning the value of playtesting with other groups because with with the other project that I'm working on, yeah, um, there are things that I'm learning that I wouldn't have caught otherwise with with potentially other groups. So, oh yeah, and like if you play with the same group, they all, like for one, it's like you know, you know, me and Scott will be pretty honest about our feedback, but at the same time, we're only a segment of uh, of pretty much like the. Like the tabletop community, where we already kind of know what we like, but there's a lot yeah. of people out there who don't necessarily like what we like. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like I would say, like me, you, and Scott, we work well because we do have some common grounds for gaming, and we do have some things that we disagree on. But it's probably a lot less than you know the differences. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. But on that note, folks, on that touching moment where me and Finder bonded just slightly more. Well, and and we get to blame <laughs> Scott for this. He did not give us a D and D trivia card, so uh, we can't we can't answer D and D trivia tonight. I can try and find one quick. <laughs> Embarrass ourselves. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see. Ooh, there's there's a quiz that we can do quickly. Okay. Do should I uh, pull that up on the screen? Sure. Let me just uh, fix that up. There we go. 
Which of these is not a class? Druid, Rapscallion, Barbarian, Rogue. Oh my god, this might be... Rapscallion, come on. Uh, oh, <laughs> of course, there could be there could be a system. What, what year was the game first introduced? Ooh, uh, what year was 70? the game? When you say the game, we're talking Dungeons and Dragons, right? Yeah, that's uh, seventy nine, right? Um, seventy nine or seventy eight, I think. Yeah, yeah. What What was the answer? Did it tell you? No, we got to do it at the end, and then it'll tell us. Oh, th th was it a multiple choice one or? Yeah. Uh, what were the choices? Uh, 69, 79, 89, and 99. 79, then. Yeah. Uh, what does DM stand for? Dungeon Dark Master. Magician, Drug, and Dragon Magic, or Delightful Mum and Dungeon Master? I think it's Delightful Mum. Wow. <laughs> What's the name of the film starring Tom Hanks that was based on Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, Legend? Uh, there's Mazes and Monsters, Wizard and Warlock, Mages and Magic, and... Demons and Sword. Wasn't it Mazes of the Monsters? Wait, you said Tom Hanks. Yeah. Mazes and Monsters. Oh, Tom Hanks. Sorry, I, I was thinking Tom Cruise. Yes, Mazes and Monsters. Yeah. See, I know these questions. Yeah, true. Pursuit, yeah. you're stupid. Thanks. <laughs> Fuck. Well, well, either way, we got them all right. These were fucking easy questions, man. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah, so, sorry. I was thinking Tom Cruise because Tom Cruise was in. Wasn't that one legend? Uh, I don't remember. Um, I never saw it. I'm not going to lie. I just know of it. I, I don't think you've missed much. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. Anyways, um, I think that's all the time we have for today, folks. I hope you had a good time. Uh, we had fun, and uh, we'll see you next week. And also, uh, we have postponed our setting thing until next week. Uh, so if anyone has any prompts or ideas that they want for our setting that we're creating out of the blue using random prompts, please put them up because it's going to be a lot of fun and it's probably going to be... Um, it might be a little hectic. I don't know if you agree with that, Funder, but I think uh, it's going to be a little uh, hectic. I, 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 don't, I don't see a problem with that. <laughs> then we're going to kickstart it. <laughs> yeah we'll make some money off of it anyways <laughs> uh, have, a good, have a good day and see you guys later bye bye <laughs>